Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. So today we have a very special episode for you looking at one particular case that the justices heard in their November sitting. It's a case that's kind of flown under the radar so far, given everything else that's going on down at 1 First Street, but it could be a really big deal. Yeah, this case, uh, known as Mallory versus Norfolk Southern, uh, could totally change how you sue a corporation. Or really where you sue a corporation. That's right. And we spoke with a bunch of attorneys on all sides of this issue. And we're going to bring you a really deep dive into what Mallory is about and what it could mean. So we'll be talking about cancer, about railroads, terrorism, and even Johnny Depp. So should we get to it, Lydia? Yeah, let's do it. So let's dig in here. Let's kick it off with Johnny Depp himself. I mean, it seems strange that we're going to talk about Johnny Depp, but trust us on this one. Right. So as you may recall, the actor Johnny Depp was recently involved in a very high profile defamation suit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. The trial in that suit took place in Fairfax County Courthouse in Northern Virginia, which just happens to be right around the corner from where I live. So now you might be wondering, why did a trial between two famous Hollywood actors take place in Northern Virginia, of all places? Well, the alleged defamation at issue here was an op-ed by Heard that was published in The Washington Post. But The Washington Post is based in, well, actually, it's based in Washington, D.C., so that still doesn't totally get us there. But the big Hollywood trial took place in my suburban neighborhood, largely because Johnny Depp wanted to just be near me and be in my presence. No, okay. For real, though, sadly for Kimberly, the answer is that the Washington Post is published in northern Virginia. So he chose that particular venue instead of a court in California where they both live. Virginia also has weaker anti-slap laws, which is another reason why he chose to sue in the Commonwealth. But that's a totally different story. Right. So really why he chose to be in Fairfax is not really important for our purposes today. What you do need to know is that this is just how jurisdiction works. The Post, and therefore Amber Heard, has a connection to this specific geographical area. And so the court can hear that case. Right. And the phrase you just used, specific, is really important because there are two types of jurisdiction that we're talking about in this case. Right. So is everybody ready to nerd out? (laughs) So there's general jurisdiction, which allows people to sue companies where they're based. And then there's specific jurisdiction, which means you can sue a company where an incident happened. To explain it a little more artfully, here's Ashley Keller, a partner and founder of the firm Keller Postman. General personal jurisdiction essentially means that Uh, You can be sued as a litigant, as a defendant, for any type of lawsuit there, regardless of your contacts with the particular forum. And typically, general jurisdiction is proper where a corporation is headquartered or a citizen. So take Delaware, for example. Lots of companies are incorporated in Delaware. Uh, If I allege that a Delaware company engaged in a tort against me, even if it happened in Florida, where I happen to live, I could sue the company in Delaware because that's where they're at home. Specific personal jurisdiction, as the name implies, essentially says you have to sue or you can sue where the facts giving rise to the lawsuit occurred. And so to take that same example, if I allege that that Delaware company committed a tort against me in Florida, Maybe, you know, it was a delivery company and their driver was driving negligently and hit my car on the road. 
in Florida. I could sue them in Florida for that specific lawsuit because the facts giving rise to that lawsuit occurred in Florida. Okay, so everyone, we're all on the same page, right? Right. So all you need to know is that with specific jurisdiction, you can sue a company wherever you allege the company wronged you. But, of course, it gets a little more complicated. Some states require companies to consent to their jurisdiction if that company operates anywhere in the state. So in that example that Ashley brought up, let's say you're a Delaware company and you want to sell products not just in Delaware, but across the border in Pennsylvania. In order to do that, according to Pennsylvania law, you have to agree to have your business fall under the jurisdiction of Pennsylvania's state courts. Right. And if you don't agree to that, that means you can't do business there. And this finally is where the Mallory case comes in. Yes, finally. So Ashley is representing a guy by the name of Robert Mallory. Mallory worked for Norfolk Southern Railroad and said he got cancer because the company negligently exposed him to asbestos and other chemicals while he was working on the job in Ohio and Virginia. Norfolk Southern was based in Virginia at the time that Mallory says he was exposed to these chemicals. But Mallory sued in Pennsylvania court. Why? Well, plaintiffs have a lot of reasons for picking and choosing which court they want to sue in. Maybe they think a particular court or a particular judge will give them an advantage over the defendant, or maybe they just want to sue in a court that's nearby to where they live. According to Ashley, Mallory chose Pennsylvania for a pretty straightforward reason. One of the main reasons, candidly, is that the lawyers that he selected are in Pennsylvania. They know that court system really well, and they thought that he would get access to fair justice in Philadelphia. Okay, so that makes sense. But Norfolk Southern didn't think it made sense. It saw this Pennsylvania law, which says that all companies operating in the state have to submit to its jurisdiction as coercive and way too broad. Here's Robin Efron, a professor at Brooklyn Law School. Once they signed up to be a registered out-of-state corporation, they could be sued for any reason by anyone in Pennsylvania. That lawsuit didn't have to do anything with Pennsylvania, the only basis for jurisdiction is that they were registered to do business there. So that's how this case came about, right? Is that there's this question of, is it a constitutional violation for Pennsylvania to assert jurisdiction over this non-resident defendant in a case that involves a non-resident plaintiff and conduct that happened out of state when the only basis is registration under this corporate registration statute. So in case you couldn't already tell, this is a pretty wonky case that involves stuff that you might hear in law school. But the stakes of the Mallory case are actually huge. Right. So if the court here rules against Mallory, that means that it will become harder to file a suit against a corporation. And Justice Neil Gorsuch said during Monday's argument that this might be giving corporations an unfair advantage over actual flesh and blood people who are subject to a kind of tag jurisdiction. I would have thought your, your, your response would have been pretty simple, which is there may be unconstitutional conditions doctrine, but one thing that can't be a problem is treating corporations on par with individuals. That, Isn't that, doesn't that, that cut the Gordian knot? I, I think it does, and it also cuts the Gordian knot to I mean, say if tag jurisdiction was always permissible since time immemorial for persons, how can it be unconstitutional condition to say a corporation must buy, abide by more or less the same rules as we require of individuals? Scott Nelson, an attorney with the Public Citizen Litigation Group who filed a brief supporting Mallory, said that siding with Norfolk Southern here in this case would ultimately benefit the big guys. 
In this scenario, big corporations would just find the state with the most pro-corporate laws and judges and declare themselves headquartered there. Meanwhile, he says small businesses that operate only in a few states or just one even won't have that kind of privilege. You're privileging the people who have the greater resources and more ability to defend themselves in any number of jurisdictions by saying, you can do things in this state and not be sued here that some little guy, uh, if they do it there, because that's the only place they're doing it, they'll clearly be sued there. But the other side of the equation is equally important. If the court rules in favor of Mallory and says that the Pennsylvania statute is fine, get ready for a flood of corporate litigation in every state in the country. That's according to Bo Rutledge, a law school dean and the counsel representing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in the Mallory case. Uh, what, what this case does is it sort of blows open those limits and says that anywhere, anytime a company anywhere in the world chooses to register to do business in that state, it's open season on that company in the courts of that state for claims that might arise anywhere. That detonates the, the predictability. It creates huge problems for forum shopping. And at the end of the day, really is sort of an assault on the underlying principles of interstate commerce and shared federal authority among the states upon which our constitutional system rests. That's a viewpoint more or less shared wholeheartedly by Justice Samuel Alito. And Norfolk Southern is a big corporation, and big corporations like that uh, can litigate any place in the country. So the practical consequences for them uh, may not be so serious, but all corporations are not big entities. So take the case of a small company, a small corporation, someplace far away from Pennsylvania, and they ship some products into the state based on Internet sales. What are the consequences if all of the states can condition the shipment of a few of some products into the state, which they regard as doing business into the state, on that little corporation's uh, consenting to general jurisdiction. Justice Alito here is talking about the practical effects of a ruling in Mallory's favor, but there's also the principle here. Tanya Monastir is a law professor at the University of Buffalo, and she wrote a law review article a few years ago about the concept of corporate registration. For her, it's not about exposing businesses to too much litigation, but rather about a warped concept of consent. Tanya's article, which has gotten a bunch of citations and court opinions, says statutes like Pennsylvania's force businesses to make a kind of Hobson's choice, either consent to our jurisdiction or don't do business here at all. Fundamentally, I guess what concerned me when I first took on this project many years ago now was this idea of where's the consent here? This just looks so different than all the other forms of consent that we recognize in personal jurisdiction jurisprudence. And so I thought that that question had just never been answered. And looking at all the cases over the years, all you have is courts saying, so-and-so registered, therefore they consented, therefore there's jurisdiction. And, and I just wanted to get to the heart of, but is this really consent? And so the article focuses primarily on that question and argues that it's, it's not consent. And when you look at it this way, if you're trying to test this concept at the Supreme Court, 
Norfolk Southern is a pretty ideal company with which to do it. It's a railroad, of course, and it's sort of hard to imagine a railroad having any ability to not operate in Pennsylvania or any other state. Right. It's not like the railroad could say, oh, we don't want to be subject to Pennsylvania jurisdiction, so we're going to refuse to register there and just stop operating in the state. All of our trains will, hey, they'll just stop at the Pennsylvania border from now on. In fact, Norfolk Southern's lawyer, Carter Phillips, made this exact argument on Tuesday, though he was a little reluctant to do so. So... (laughs) Again, I'm a little reluctant to play the railroad card here, but it's not as though we actually have a choice whether or not we're going to do business in the state of Pennsylvania. Federal government will require us to continue to do business in the state of Pennsylvania, and the state of Pennsylvania will, although that doesn't defend this statutory scheme here today, the state of Pennsylvania under the plaintiff's theory is that that requires us to give up our rights but under But here it's only interesting. Yeah, so right? that's more or less what Mallory is all about, but actually – There's one more wrinkle. Right. So when it comes to Mallory, we're talking about whether a state has jurisdiction over companies from other states. But there are some people who worry that if the court decides this case too broadly in favor of Norfolk Southern, there could be international implications. That's because Congress has passed laws that say foreign corporations and people who do business in the U.S. are subject to the jurisdiction of U.S. courts. Specifically, there's a law called the Promoting Security and Justice for Victims of Terrorism Act. It allows the families of terrorism victims to sue some foreign groups in U.S. courts if they have some business transactions here. Eric Citron, a partner at Goldstein Russell, is an attorney representing one of those families. And he's really worried the court will decide the Mallory case in a way that sweeps up the Justice for Victims of Terrorism Act along with it. And since this is about like the power of Pennsylvania to bring, you know, non-Pennsylvania domiciled corporations into their courts. Uh, In some ways, we shouldn't be here at all. And part of the message of our amicus brief is like, please don't mess up our case by making this one about ours. So we represent terror victims who are hoping to use a federal statute to sue uh, Palestinian Authority and the PLO for engaging in acts of terror that, that, you know, killed their loved ones for the most part or, or injured them. And they have personal jurisdiction issues because the Palestinian Authority and the PLO do not have their headquarters in the United States and so are not like presumptively subject to general, what we call general jurisdiction. What they have instead is a statute that Congress passed to say, no, as long as the PLO and Palestinian Authority have done certain very limited Uh, amounts of business in the United States or transacted at all in the United States, then they have impliedly consented to the jurisdiction of our courts, our courts here being the United States courts. Um, And we think that statute is perfectly fine. But do the justices think it's fine? Well, we won't know until they issue their opinion in the case. Until then, stick with Cases and Controversies for coverage of all Supreme Court cases. And follow along with daily coverage at our website, news.bloomberglaw.com. Today's podcast was produced, as always, by David Schultz, and we had special reporting help from Jordan Rubin. Check back next week for a look ahead at the December sitting. Thanks for listening. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. 
a pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much, somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.